Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please continue to stand with me as we hear God's Word from 1 John chapter 1. Our text this evening is from 1 John chapter 1. The verses we're going to focus on this evening are (laughs) verses 5 through 10, but I'd like to read the whole chapter in its entirety. 1 John chapter 1, this is the very Word of God. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen, and bear witness, and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly, Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let us pray and ask God to bless the preaching of his word. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word. Indeed, Lord, it is living and powerful. And Lord, we pray that you would use it and indeed, Lord, that your spirit would be at our at work in our hearts even now as we consider your word, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, my friends, as did the audience of the Apostle John, we live and rub shoulders with men and women in this world who have a very poor view of the matter and severity of sin. They have no clue as to what sin really is. To say that the reason man is involved in sinful activity is a result of him being inherently sinful is quickly rejected as ridiculous, judgmental even, prejudicial. Sin, as God defines it in the Bible, is ignored, it's excused, it's rationalized, and even encouraged. The problem of sin for unregenerate men and women today is moved aside in their minds as they don't even see it as a problem. Coupled with this view of sin is a very skewed and wrong view of God. In their minds, if he exists, he is a God made in their own image. He is a God who is very willing to excuse and to overlook sin and rebellion and bitterness. 
thoughts, words, and actions in their lives are evaluated through their own lenses and not according to the standard of the infinite, holy, and living God. Therefore, we we find John challenging this line of thinking and the, the claims that were made as a result in our text today. I think it's important that we consider the beginning verses of this chapter as well as the specific verses of 5 through 10 as well. In doing so, we we note the subject of the letter. The main subject is the word of life, Jesus Christ himself and his two natures. In verses 1 and 2, John made a very persuasive case that the Son of God was manifest in the flesh. For John was one of those who had seen him, who had heard him with his own ears and handled him. It wasn't just some fable that people told as nice bedtime stories. Because Jesus' incarnation was real. Because it was of such great importance and made such incredible impact. John wrote the people to make several declarations or formal announcements as a messenger of Christ to them. In fact, these declarations had a purpose, that knowing and believing the truth of the gospel, the people would be more fully in their, they would be more full in their understanding and experience of their union and communion with the Father and with the Son, as well as with one another in Christ. That from that recognition of that union and communion, they would experience the fullness of joy as they lived rightly in the light. So let's consider now this wonderful truth that God is light. Let us also consider the fellowship that we have in him and our responsibility to live in the light. And in verse 5, we see there that John said, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. My friends, the first thing we notice here is where the Apostle John begins. He begins with God. His message isn't man-centered. It isn't focused on the evaluation and conclusions of men. It's centered on the glorious living God. We also notice the reception and communication of the message. John said, this is the message. This is the summary of the gospel. Having spoken to the reality and the purpose of Jesus' incarnation, John then tells them, you also need to know what he said. It's interesting to know that the Greek root word for message is the same as the word declare in this verse. So John is saying that they had an announcement that they were going to announce to the people. And this wasn't just any message. The apostles heard this divine declaration from Jesus himself. In fact, how do we know that this is true? Where in scripture do we see this? Jesus 
clearly communicated this message to them in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 12, when he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So here Jesus proclaims himself to be the light of the world, and he went on to say that those who follow him, those who are his disciples, they don't walk in darkness. If they are following the light, they must be those who walk in the light. And not only do they walk in the light, but they have the light of life. This light does not only illumine our path, but it is the light of spiritual life in this world and everlasting life in the world to come. So John said that the message they declared was what they were taught by Christ. Indeed, they were faithful messengers. And this message that they had for the people, it really tells us what God is and as well as what isn't in him. What he is is this, God is light. And I know we've heard that phrase before. We may even have memorized this verse, studied it over and over again. But I want you to hear that afresh tonight. God is light. We need to pause and meditate on that for a moment. Light is a metaphor for many things in scripture. However, predominantly light is a metaphor for knowledge or wisdom. It's also a metaphor for purity and holiness. In the ideas of, and, and metaphors of knowledge and wisdom, we see that in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. If you want, you can turn with me there. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. There we read, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Also in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul, Paul told the church in Corinth, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of God of Jesus Christ. Beloved, think about that for a moment. It is this great and wonderful and awesome God indeed who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Indeed, who has shown into our very hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He's the one who has revealed this to us. He is the one that has caused us to know 
and to see and to recognize and indeed to praise and glorify him for it. We also see the metaphors of purity and holiness, that separation from that which is evil in Scripture. Point out one passage here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, where it says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? How can you commune with those who are worshiping falsely and then try to commune with those who are the true worshipers of God? It can't be. What fellowship does light have with darkness? The answer is very clear. There is no fellowship. So here, when God is spoken of in his very nature itself, God is wisdom and holiness itself. And it is he who gives wisdom and holiness in contrast to ignorance and uncleanness. God makes his people knowledgeable and clean. He makes his people knowledgeable and clean. In many ways, God being light is clearly displayed in the gospel as the incarnate Christ is the light that shines in the darkness of a world that tries to exclude and reject him. But John goes on to say, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Literally, there is no moral or spiritual darkness in him. God is completely and perfectly holy. My friends, this is a great truth that we need to grasp, especially in light of what John is going to say next in the coming verses as he responds to, as he addresses the false claims that some have made, as he uh, declares and communicates the tests um, and a, of assurance in those verses. Um, we need to understand, indeed, the light of God and his holiness. Lest man look at the condition of his own heart as a creature and try to claim that there must be something similar in the Creator. Lest man try to make God the author of sin, let us be clear. There is no defect, no imperfection, not even a faint shadow of something that isn't pure light in God. There can be no darkness mixed with light, for light dispels darkness. This isn't one of those gray area examples or gray area relationships. Light and darkness don't mix in God. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. It is one, it is of it the very nature, that which can't be mixed with darkness. God is completely, eternally, unchangeably, and infinitely light. Matthew Henry once said about this verse, God is all that beauty and perfection that can be represented to us by light. 
He is a self-active, uncompounded spirituality, purity, wisdom, holiness, and glory. And then the absoluteness and fullness of that excellency and perfection. There is no defect or imperfection, no mixture of anything alien or contrary to absolute excellency. No capacity of any decay in him. And so therefore we know that the holy God of light hates wickedness, pollution, sin, and everything that pertains to darkness. Think about this for a moment. Understanding this will help us as we grasp where John's focus goes next. Then that focus is our great need for confession and repentance of our sins. This is clearly the implication that John makes as he goes on to speak of walking in darkness. In many ways, if you're familiar with John's epistle here, and uh, John's style of instruction and the way the Lord has used John in this letter. It's very black and white. You're either of the light or you're of the darkness. You're a child of God or you're a child of the devil. But this black and white instruction is very helpful to us to know and to live according to the truth. We will see in the next four verses that John presents three claims. And three tests, which are also followed by action steps in living in the light. So this false claim in number one is seen in verse six. There John says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So false claim number one is that we can truly know God in his light while we live our lives in darkness. You know, John doesn't put a whole lot of weight solely on the words that come out of people's mouths. There are a lot of people who can say nice things. There are a lot of people who can say what look to be the right things. But he also looks at the fruit in their lives and encourages them and us to do the same. Examine yourselves before the Lord. Does their profession match their living? If we say that we have fellowship with God, we obviously think that we do have fellowship with God. And John's great concern here is twofold with two groups of people. John's great concern on the one hand is for those who are making false profession, who say they have fellowship and don't. They're still in darkness. And though they think they are in the light, those that may have been sitting in the pews and even listening to this letter being read, they needed to hear the gospel and by the grace of God be saved. And on the other hand, John's concern is for believers who needed to examine their hearts and confess and repent of their sins before the Lord. So we see a test here. If we speak of such a relationship with God and live in darkness, we are liars 
and the truth is not evident in our lives. So my friends, where are our hearts in relation to our profession? We must be those who are pressing forward to walk consistent with our profession of Christ and with our being a child of his. And so in verse 7, notice what John says. In verse 6, he kind of hits them with the false claim in the test. But 7 is where we see the light. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Here is the contrast to walking in darkness. It's walking in the light. And walking in the light is indeed a metaphor for the Christian life. Remember what Isaiah said in Isaiah 2 verse 5. O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. So what does walking in the light involve? What does that mean? What does it look like? To walk in the light, we first have to believe and embrace the light of the world by faith, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's the threshold of the path of light, but it also means doing the truth in the light. We are not just, as James said, to be hearers of the word only. We aren't just to hear about the light, hear about what the light looks like, hear about what the path of the light looks like, hear about what we should be doing in the light, but not do it. We need to be doing the truth that we hear. We need to be obeying the truth and living in that truth. But notice, my friends, we are not drug along in the light. We must walk. Walking is also intentional. God grants it to us. The Holy Spirit is at work in us. But we still need to do it. It's also a continued and it's a progressive action in which we persevere and grow in holiness. Miles are put on. We're gaining ground. And we are to maintain our walk. We are to persevere in the faith. But notice we are to walk in the light as he is in the light. As the Father is in the light. As the Son and the Spirit are in the light. And when we do, notice what John says. We have fellowship with one another. The most important relationship that John is talking about here is our relationship with God is our relationship with Jesus Christ. But secondly, we see a wonderful benefit, blessing, gift, encouragement, support for us as we walk in that light with the Lord. And when we do, we have fellowship with one another. We are are fellow light walkers. We're fellow light walkers. We're walking our own journeys together with the Lord, but we're together as well. It's not a marathon of one. 
We're in this together. And so indeed we have communion with God and he has communion with us and he gives us the blessings and the benefits approved and even accomplished because of the finished work of Christ. But notice he goes on to say, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. As we walk in the light, we we need to remember that John isn't referring to sinless living. Those who are truly walking in the light have a growing experience with sin. Not that we sin all the more as if we have license to do so. Is it that we should sin so that grace can abound? No, may it never be. But as the light exposes the darkness, even in our own hearts, we become more aware of our sin. As the Lord shines his light into our lives, we see more and more of the crud that needs to get out. God shows it to us. And that's a hard thing sometimes. It's a challenging thing. Sometimes it's an embarrassing thing. Sometimes it's a frustrating and uh, even disparaging thing be it the Lord is the masterful surgeon he is the wonderful God he is the holy God who has called us to walk in light as he is in the light as he is holy and we too um, need to see the sin in our lives And we need to get it out as we indeed are light walkers and light bearers. So praise the Lord indeed that as we consider these things. That we have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 11 through 14. The writer there says, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. With the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Another familiar passage. But in the light of God's holiness, in his light, a very crucial and wonderful passage of the work of Christ. He cleanses us from all sin. The the blood of Christ not only pardons us in dealing with the guilt of our sin and our justification, but it purifies us from the pollution of our sin. In many, many ways, it has an effect on our sanctification. 
And it's through Christ's death, even, that we grow in grace. Knowing God for who he is is crucial. But do you also know who you are in relation to him? And that's really where the second and third false claim come, as John points them out. False claim number one, we can't have fellowship with God if we're walking in darkness. But false claim number two, look at verse eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So false claim number two is that I am without sin in my person. You know, the problem today is that men and women deny that they are inherently sinful. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Luke said this, And he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So test number two, my friends, if you say you're without sin, you're self-deceived. You don't know the truth. When the truth takes residence in our lives, we know ourselves to be miserable sinners. Scripture says God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. In your relationship with God, are you like the Pharisee or are you like the tax collector? As Jonathan Edwards rightly titled his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Do you recognize that as you? Do you recognize yourself as a sinner in desperate need for God's mercy? And so in verse 9, John then shines again the light. In verse 9, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My friends, light living action point number two is that we need to live a life of humility that involves confession and repentance, experiencing the forgiveness of our God. My friends, much pain in our lives comes from concealing sin that we need to confess. David knew this to be true. As he says in Psalm 32, when I kept silent, My bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. 
For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my vitality was turned into the drought of summer, Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. We find the beautiful, glorious gospel message here yet again. How can a holy and just God allow sinners to come into his presence? It is only by the work and person of our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't deny our sin, but rather we fall to our knees in confession, receiving forgiveness and cleansing by our faithful Lord Jesus. False claim number three we see in verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So this is one step further. First, one claims the existence of sin doesn't harm their relationship or fellowship with God. Second, they claim that they aren't inherently sinful. Third, they go on against the very declaration of God saying that they haven't sinned at all. If we make these claims, John says the word of God isn't in us. For indeed, what does the word of God say? Very simply, in in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Period. The reality is, That the God who is light and can't lie declares we are sinners. And if his word is in us, we readily recognize this and cry out to Jesus in confession and repentance. And so again, we see the rays of light that the Lord brings in in the beginning verses of chapter 2. The beginning two verses, my children, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Beloved, he has paid it all for you. There is nothing left to be done in that payment. It is finished. He is indeed the atonement for us. He has made atonement between us and the Father. He has brought reconciliation. Notice here again, in these wonderful verses, how it's not about perfect living, this side of glory. John recognizes, um, and he says, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Here's the path. Here is the book. Here is the law. Here are the instructions from God himself as to what obedient, holy living looks like in the light of 
But if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. What a glorious thing. We read that passage all the time. But we also um, need to think about that even now. That we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus himself. The one who is also the propitiation of our sins. Himself. He intercedes for us. He is the paraclete. He is the one sitting at the Father's right hand. We are in the best hands possible. The hands of one who loves us and has given his own very life for us. So my friends, I'll leave you with a few things. Consider afresh today the glorious God who is light. Consider his holiness, his purity, his perfection. That should strike awe in us. But also consider your condition before him. Do you know that you know Jesus? In many ways, this passage contains the message and tests of assurance. Considering these claims and tests, if you don't know him, if you haven't bowed the knee, if you aren't trusting him in true faith, then I beseech you today to cry out to Christ for mercy. He is the holy God, and you are dead in trespasses and sins. But if you are a son or a daughter of God, then be encouraged, comforted, and challenged by this passage. Have a refreshed zeal, not only to walk, but to examine yourselves. To call upon the Lord as David did and say, search me, O God. For as we belong to him and as the Spirit is at work in us, as the Spirit is bringing conviction of our sins. We don't need to be those who are saying, stop it. Don't do that anymore. It hurts. I don't like it. We need to be the ones who are saying, thank you, Lord. I need this. Because I need to be right with you. And in this walking in the light, we need to have a refreshed daily zeal to do so rightly. So, O redeemed sinner, God calls you to a life of daily fellowship with him. He calls you to be faithful in your service to him. Is that not what we desire to hear from his own very lips on that day? Well done, good and faithful servant. He calls you to be humbly submissive to him in love. Finally, Again, know that you have an advocate in Christ. Living in the light isn't a walk of perfection. It's a life marked by perseverance. There are the ups and the downs. There are the hard times and the sad times. There's loss and pain. But there's also joy and courage and excitement in serving the King. 
We're on his errand. What more could we ask for? For he has chosen us to come and be his ambassadors, his representatives in this dark and fallen world as we serve the Lord Christ. So take courage, my friend. Living in the light is not easy, but it is good. It is right. And God is with you. You're not in this alone. He is with you, but as I said before, we are here together as his bride, as ones whom he uses to sharpen each other, to encourage each other, to comfort each other, to challenge each other, to rebuke each other sometimes when necessary. So walk. Walk faithfully with him and before him in the light. May God grant us grace to do so. Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, indeed, Lord, this word that you have given us is glorious, for it shows us you. What more beautiful thing can there be? There cannot be, Lord. It shows us you. It shows us us, even as sinners. But it also shows us your great and bountiful love expressed to us in Christ. Oh God, you are greatly to be praised. We thank you, Lord, not only for your work and saving us, the work that you are doing in us even now, today, but Lord, we are hopeful and we are excited and joyful for the days ahead. Please, Lord, mold us, grow us, shape us more and more into the image of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name.